Wow, it's so nice to come out to applause. Oh, wait. Man, I think that was for someone else, not me. Hey, welcome here. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I get to talk at this church, and that's a great privilege. Uh, last week in the first service, I came out too early, which means I came out right when the kids were singing, and that wasn't so bad. I could cover for that a little bit. But this week, can you imagine if I would have come out right during the dance? I would have been in trouble. I do not know how to do a plie. Wow, I have a daughter now. That's a new word I just learned. Welcome here. We are glad you're here. Speaking of daughters, I have a story I'd like to tell you. Um, but I need to ask permission to do it first. Monica, is it okay if I tell this story? All right, good, thanks. See, I always like to ask permission before I tell a story. So, permission? Yeah, okay. Last week in our church, we were having uh, a sermon series on parenting. Uh, before that, it was on our relationship with God, and we're sort of watching the gospel from the big down to the narrow and now even smaller. Last week, it was on parenting, and one of the things I said was, hey, you know, contribute to somebody else's parenting. Do so. Come on. Whatever you have. And as it turns out, that very night, Monica Hunt put into practice what I preached. And I didn't even think of it until the next day. But that very night, we were having an event at our church, and I was up next to pray. I had my three kids. My wife is playing the piano. So there's, I mean, I'm like multitasking, not my thing, right? But I'm like, okay, pray. All right, pray. Wait, hold still. Don't wiggle. Hold on. And all of a sudden, my youngest just turns to tears. I mean, you know. And it's loud, and it's like right during the quiet time, and I'm starting to get hot and sweating and not knowing what to do. And I was in trouble. I can't do two things at once. I'm a dad. That's impossible. God, what am I going to do? All of a sudden, Monica hunts like an angel out of nowhere, flies in, and she has a pink, fluffy pin. And my daughter went, zip. Yes. See, whatever you have can be used for God's glory and to help another parent. Thank you, Monica. I realize that. And look, that didn't cost her money. That didn't cost her time. She was already there. But I promise, the first thing, I didn't even realize this till the next day. I woke up the next day, very first thing I said to Eden, very first thing, wasn't that nice of Monica to share her pen with you? She's like, yeah. I was like, man, she really bailed me out. And I was like, oh, yeah, my sermon. That's right. <laughs> It's nice when the preacher remembers his own sermons. Wow. Oh, boy. Welcome here. So that's how things go. Um, Today we're not talking about fluffy pens, though. We're talking about uh, finances and stewardship. And I know stewardship goes way beyond finances. But um, we really, I am going to sort of hone in on that because uh, where your money is, your heart is also. And a lot of times people sort of assume Oh, the preacher's talking about money again. I guess this is like fiscal year end, time to kick it in, and then he won't have this sermon until next year, fiscal year end again, right? And certainly the church needs money in order to survive. I mean, we pay people and we want them to eat. But the reality is, as a Christian, your giving goes way beyond just turning on the lights. What it is is you believe in God's message you believe in God's glory, and you want the gospel to go forth. So you give. Not because somebody else is banging you over the head saying, now it's time to kick it in, but instead because you believe in God's eternal purposes 
and this thing we called stewardship. And so what we're going to do in the next few weeks is kind of look at what that looks like and how that applies to you and uh, try to make it really simple but also really applicable as well. So the way I'm going to do it today is I'm going to just look at stewardship secular and then stewardship sacred. And the reason is, is because in a lot of ways, they're basically the same thing. You know, it's not a word we kick around a lot at the dinner table. Hey, how's your stewardship lately? You know, it's just not what we discuss. But at the same time, if you exist in this world, you probably know what it means to be a steward. And so I'm going to use the example of farming here in a little bit, and then we're going to move right into Christianity. But I want to say this. Basically, stewardship is a practice where an owner puts someone in charge of their stuff in order to manage it well. So you might have a stockbroker, you might have, you know, a property manager, you might have a whatever in today's term. But in Jesus's day, often it was agrarian or agricultural or in the realm of farming. You know, hey, look over my stuff, take care of it while I'm off wherever. I'm not going to catch a plane, I'm going to be gone for a while. So Today, again, we'll look at stewardship, and this is what you'll see of both secular and sacred stewardship. Uh, it works like this. I made them all P's, so maybe you can remember it better. If you can't, that's okay, too. Uh, basically, I want you to get the big idea. But the P's go like this. These are the points of stewardship. It is proprietor, purpose, promise, and process. Proprietor, purpose, promise, and process. You can write these down. I welcome you to do that. Or you can just download them on whatever device you use and keep them. But the proprietor basically means, whether you're in secular or sacred, that everything about the stewardship process is based on them. They're the owner, right? Let's not forget who this is all about. It's about the proprietor. It starts and ends with them. Then the next step is, based on that proprietor, depending on what they want you to do with their stuff, that defines your purpose, you know? If the purpose is to reduce my taxes, then you're going to do it one way. If the purpose is to make a giant profit, you're going to do it another way. The point is, the proprietor determines the purpose. So the owner determines what you're going to do with their stuff. Hey, this is mine. I'm loaning it to you. This is what I want you to do. Proprietor purpose. Then third is a promise. This is a really beautiful section that I'm going to dive deep in uh, later today, but it's a super encouragement to the Christian but you can also see it play out a little bit in the secular as well. And then finally, the process. Basically, both of them, you'll see, come to faith and effort. You can't get away with just one or the other. You have to have both. So, proprietor, purpose, promise, and process. The point is this. God puts you here, Christian, to use everything you have for his glory. In other words, you are placed here to prosper. Now, I use that sermon title this morning, and I know it's a little bit scary because there's some, I'm hesitant to even call churches, but some organizations that gather together, and the preacher gets up and says, hey, if you give, then God will bless. And the assumption is, the more I give, the more I get. And so the purpose of giving is getting. And that would be an easy heresy to slip into um, were it not for the context we're going to put things in today. So let me just start by saying, yes, you're placed here to prosper, but I will flesh that out in a way that perhaps you may not have seen before. 
So secular farming or secular stewardship, what does it look like? Well, when I was in northeast Missouri, there were a lot of farms. It's basically an agrarian place. There are uh, Amish and a bunch of other stuff. It's near Iowa, and it's basically corn and soybeans. We even had a soybean festival every Labor Day. You know, It was amazing. Not really, <laughs> but... So here we are as farmers, and if I speak to one landowner, we'll call him Lee the landowner, I would say, okay, so Lee, tell me about this process a little bit, because I didn't grow up on a farm, I don't know anything about it. He's like, oh, no problem. Well, my granddaddy, and then me, and my son, and this is how things work, and we own this land, and we're always trying to get more land, because the more land gives you more uh, marginal margin of profit, and so you get your land, you stake it out, and then I can't work it all myself. So I'm going to hire some people to help. We're going to have hired hands, and they're going to work for me. I'm going to make some arrangement with them. Like, for example, depending on who they are and their skill level, I may pay them hourly. I may pay them based on their production, or I may pay them based on their profit margin. If they're really close associates, they've worked for a long time, I might even share, say, hey, you're the, you're the manager, you're my understeward, and therefore... Depending on how your workers do, I'll give you a percentage. And that increases their motivation and their profit. So depending upon what Lee wants, he will define the terms. And a promise will be associated with his command. Now that promise also comes with an inherent um, sort of warning as well. It's like, hey, you know what? If you don't do well, you know... Not necessarily off with your head, but hey, you're out the door, right? I don't need you necessarily if there's a bunch of other people in line, and I'd be happy to have them work for me. And really, you want to do well by me, which means profiting my stuff. You're not there to make yourself money. You're there to profit me. Let's just be clear about it. This is who you work for, and this is what you're going to do. So there is a proprietor. There is a purpose. And there is a promise and then there's also a process, and that process is faith plus works, if you will. In other words, it's the marriage of the two. And in farming, although we have, you know, irrigation and fertilization and fancy equipment that uses GPS to measure how many squirts go in the ground precisely at their locations along the way, you still have to have faith because every season, every year, everything is different. And you need a certain period of time in order for a certain humidity level and a certain temperature level for the seeds to germinate exactly just right. Otherwise, the corn will not work. You want everything perfect. And so you go out there early in the season and you work your tail off. And you put the seed in the ground. And then you hope and you go and you fix your tractor and you work on your fence and everything else. And you come back at the end and you work from sunup to sundown to bring all the crops back in. So it's both. It's super hard work at the start, and then there's just sort of the faith, and then there's hard work at the finish. So you have a proprietor says, this is my area. You're going to work this. This is what you're going to do. Your purpose, you have a promise. Here's your reward if you do well. And then you have a process. Work hard, but live by faith, and see what happens in the end. That's secular stewardship. And in a very real way, that's exactly what uh, Christian stewardship is as well. It's, it's not that we just, som sometimes we, we totally blow it as Christians. Sometimes we say, oh, it's all faith, and we just kick our feet back and we do nothing. 
And other times we say, man, it's all on you. And we just crack the whip and guilt trip and try to motivate to do more as if our salvation depends on us. And both are wrong. <laughs> our salvation totally depends on God, yet he's gracious enough to allow us to be part of the process. So we get involved, we do our best, but at the end of the day, we're still dependent on him. So it's faith and effort combined. That's what you see in Christian stewardship. So look, let's flesh that out a little bit then. When I say stewardship as a Christian, what do I mean? Well, first of all, you've got to ask, what is the landowner's breadth? You know, because if I'm working for Lee, I don't want to be on the wrong side of the fence wasting my time working for somebody else. I want to work on his stuff. So if I work for the Lord, what is the breadth of my responsibilities? Is it just me here? Or is it more? Psalm 24 says this. I'm going to skip ahead a slide. Psalm, and we'll come to this other one later. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So in other words, our landowner owns everything. The whole world is his. All of creation that's why it's not enough just to say the gospel is for me and mine. We've got to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because it's all his. The earth is the Lord and the fullness therein. Therefore, God's purpose that he's began for us looks like this. God designed, here's the purpose of Christian stewardship. God designed the world to be a place of fruitful work and rest. Since we are the stewards of all that he made, or vice regents, we have the responsibility of ruling over God's creation and ensuring that it produces a harvest for him. This is stewardship, so it defines our purpose, and the purpose is based on the owner. Now, let me break down our purpose just a little bit more. Here's where it starts to get, it's going to get cool here in just a second. Oh, well, it was cool before, right? Here's how it works. When we think about stewardship, we often think, you know, money and stuff. And naturally, because we're people and we own money and stuff. So stewardship applies to our stuff, but also applies to us. And I want to start today with stuff, which is the obvious, and then I want to move to ourselves, which is the more profound. So beginning with stuff, let's look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says this, each person has received a gift. Now here it's referring to spiritual gifts, but I think you can apply it to anything. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Now here's your purpose again. In order that, this is why we human beings exist. In order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now what is this? Just an attachment on the end? No, this is significant. To him belong the glory and, listen to this word, you will hear it again, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you have a gift. I have a gift. We all have a gift. There's multiple ways of going about it. You can say there's a spiritual gift, whether it's grace or mercy or wisdom or prophecy or whatever. Yes, you can share those. But you also have physical gifts as well. So anything you have, since the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein, whatever stuff you have belongs to him. So, for example, let's think about this as it plays out with children. 
Let's see, I think my kids are here somewhere today. Are you guys here? Okay, there we go, good. Guys, do I have permission to share this? See, I always ask permission, All right? Good. Um, what happens in our family, and the reason I use a younger illustration is because it's not just trying to be cute. It's saying what you see in them is probably what you should see in yourself. It's just a lot easier to see it in somebody else, right? So you start with your kids, and what's one of the first things, you say you have multiple children, as a parent, what's one of the first things that's super hard yet you keep harping on, you're trying to teach your kids to do all the time? What is it? Share. Yeah, there's a lot of them, but one of the big ones is share, right? Share, share. Well, we have two boys and one little girl. And what that means is, more often than not, the boys are called upon to share and the little girl isn't. Because nobody on their end wants to play with Barbies or frou-frous or dancey stuff or pretty things. They want to play with each other's stuff, but not so much the pink and purple get-ups, whatever those are called. So what I'm watching develop before me is this process of stewardship. And generally what my children are saying is like, like, for example, my youngest daughter, oh, this is mine. This is special to me. I own it. I get to keep it. It's all for me. But what if she thought, this is something that mom and dad are loaning me. I don't own it. I don't get to keep it. Instead, what they've tasked me to do is take what the, I've borrowed from them and use it to serve others. This is a gift to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What if she thought of her stuffy like that? Would she then cling to it, hold fast to it, and not share it with anyone else? I think not. Instead, what she would do is say, oh, this is so cool. I love it. It's wonderful. Hey, Ezra, hey, Zion, would you like to play with my Barbie? Here you go. Check it out. It's so fun. You can change her clothes and brush her hair and put on different shoes. It's great. Similarly, if they had toys that she was interested in, they would do the same thing. And my oldest has actually started to do this. I've seen him. He's only got like two stuffed animals. She has a whole bed full. He's got one or two. And he's taken that stuffed animal when she really wants it and said, okay, here you go. You can play with it. And she's just like, she's so thrilled that her older brother would share his amazing frog with her. It's great. And we look at that and we kind of smile and stuff, but we watch her heart. And what you see is it is enlivened. It is refilled it is refreshed when her brother shares with her his stuff so too in the christian church as part of the family of god if you want to encourage somebody else share your stuff with them it's not yours look if you're holding on to it like this you've seen the little kid going it's mine they're not happy then do you want to be happy do you want to be joyful do you want to be fulfilled Open those hands and share it with somebody else and then watch how your countenance lights up. From their joy, you get joy and all of a sudden your purpose changes based on the owner, which is not you, but your heavenly father. Amen? You get it? 
man, it's cool when that actually works. The hard thing is, is when Eden has to give it back, right? We have to give it back. That's hard. Look at Hannah. She has to give up her son. Look at God the Father. He gives up his son. What are you willing to give up? Yeah, it's hard to give it back. That's why I've never borrowed any of your trucks. <laughs> I know that would be not be good. People in this church have offered. They say, hey, you want to borrow my truck? I'm like, no, I, I really shouldn't. No, really, I shouldn't. <laughs> I promise I shouldn't. Keep it. Share. Look, it's a lesson that we're teaching our kids. It's a lesson that God is teaching us. You are put here for the purpose of using all that you have, your stuff, for him. But it goes even deeper. If you think that was cute, this is cool. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This was the original slide. Good job, guys. This is the original one. Um, the Bible says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, what this is telling us is not only does our stuff not belong to us, but we don't belong to us. I don't belong to me. My body doesn't belong to me. My spirit doesn't belong to me. My Mine, my intellect, my anything, it doesn't belong to me. I was bought. I am a slave of Christ. Therefore, I am to serve him in everything. Dive deeper. How does that work? Genesis chapter 1. Why were we put here? Why are we on the planet? What is the original creative mandate or what some people sometimes split or lump together with a cultural mandate? Why are we here? God told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, this is your purpose, kids. This is why you are here. Let us make man or mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. I think we heard that word earlier, right? Who was it in reference to? To him be the glory and dominion forever. Who were we talking about? Jesus and God the Father. That's right. So we were told to have dominion and it says God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the stuff so in other words people like you and me were actually created to rule the world we were created to rule and that's pretty cool right the guys go oh, oh 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 see I told you right we were created to rule Human beings were created to rule the world, but the problem is, you look around, clearly at this point, we're not. We haven't subdued it. We haven't managed it well. Many things are way beyond our control, and what was once perfect is now extremely messed up, thanks to Adam's sin, the fall of humanity, and the introduction of death and difficulty. So where's the redemption in that? Here's the beauty of the Bible. What the Bible does is every time it gives a command, it doesn't just leave you hanging, but instead it gives you the ability to fulfill that command. So with every purpose comes a promise. With every purpose comes a promise. And therefore, even though we don't currently possess it, God's command to rule the earth 
goes like this. The promise is this. God's dominion, God's rule, God's eternal rule was represented by a representative or an image bearer. That's us. Just like Lee marks off his land, God marks off his world as his through his image bearers. But it is Jesus who will ultimately establish dominion over all the earth at his second coming. Not us. And so it's this beautiful thing that works just like marriage, like we talked about a while back. In marriage, the gospel comes before marriage, and then marriage is based on the model. So too, in dominion and rule, there was dominion before there was dominion. In other words, the plan for Christ to rule the world preceded the placement of the vice rulers or the vice regents. God knew that humanity would not fulfill this mandate. He knew that we would fall. And so before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians tells us, God planned for Jesus to put everything under his feet. He will rule. We get discouraged sometimes because things aren't going our way and it's not working out. And despite all the systems and governments and education and healthcare and whatever we can come up with, we still can't get it. Why? Because we're never going to. It's all dependent upon Christ. And so this command, this dominion thing, this very beginning, this cultural creative mandate is ultimately going to be fulfilled in him. Now, this is a big deal because what happens is people who don't understand the eternal significance of stewardship tend to lock it in the temporal. In other words, the preacher gets up and he says, give and you'll be blessed. And what he doesn't realize is that the blessing here is not in the context of the temporal, but the eternal. Secular stewardship says, do now, get now. Eternal Stewardship, sacred stewardship, says greater later. Give now, get rewarded then. Am I crazy and just making this up? I don't think so, because if you look at this passage, what you see is the parable of the talents is located in an eschatological context. It's located in the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is telling his disciples what will happen at the end of the age. He's like, look, guys, your life is about to get miserable. You're going to be martyrs. But in the future, boy, will you get a reward. Check it out. Here's a slide. There is, in this context, the story of the faithful servant, the ten virgins. What are they waiting for? The bridegroom's return, right? Then the talents and the stewards, and then the final judgment. Everything that's happening here is coming from an eternal perspective. So what that means is this. Dominion, this original creative mandate, is actually a promise. It's a promise that Jesus will return and rule. And that gives us faith, and that gives us hope, and that gives us motivation and the ability to take risk. We can bet the family farm, we can sink the whole account, we can give everything we have for the glory of God because we know that the promise will be rewarded in the future. This is what's taking place in the parable of the talents. 
So let me summarize that real quick, what I've just said. When it comes to stewardship, hopefully we've seen three things so far. We've seen that it is based on the proprietor, the owner. We've seen that it defines our purpose. We're here to bring God glory. And we've seen that it comes with a promise. As a result, the process then becomes one of both faith and effort. Faith that the promise will come true and effort in the meantime while it's not. We make the effort and we depend upon God for the results. And that gives us hope and motivation and everything. So you read the parable of the talents. This is in Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it today. But if you want to write that down, you can. And you learn from that context how God treats his stewards. And this is one of the things that greatly encourages me. In that story, there's a guy who has five talents, one who has two talents, and one who has one. Now, personally, I feel like if it was just numerical, I'd want to identify with a guy who had one talent. But reading the end of the story, I don't really want to identify with him. So I'm going with the guy with two talents. (laughs) And here's the deal. A lot of times we think, as North Americans, that sort of the more the merrier. If I'm intelligent, good-looking, athletic, rich, popular, powerful, whatever, that my rewards are going to be greater. But what you actually see in this story is that has nothing to do with a quantity and everything to do with a quality. In other words, the guy who has five gets the exact same reward as the guy who has two. Because both of them went in full bore with a clean heart, by faith, believing in the owner. So it didn't really matter the quantity, it only mattered the quality. Then, on the other hand, there's the guy with one talent, and he doesn't make any effort whatsoever. And the master comes back and does not appreciate this. So it's an encouraging piece, okay? So kids, hear me what I'm saying right now. You're in high school, you're looking at your friends, somebody else is more whatever, or more skinny, or more attractive, or more whatever. At the end of the day, what the Bible is telling you is that it's not about comparison to somebody else. It's about how faithfully you use what you have for God. And if you use all that he's given you for his glory with a good heart, then God will reward you just as much as anybody else. It has nothing to do with capacity, intellect, appearance, power, or anything. It's all on how you go at it. So the question then becomes, are you driven by fear or by faith? At the end of the day, we have a responsibility to steward the master's stuff, which includes our resources and ourselves, really well. And we got to ask the question, what's driving us? Am I just afraid that things aren't going to work out? Or am I truly believing that God's got this in the end? Everything will be okay. I want to give you a really specific example and just drill down into it. And um, that's this. Last week, our elders asked you uh, to consider increasing your giving basically by 1%. I mean, I know the math doesn't work out. It's whatever. But saying, assuming you're giving, say, around 10%, then to increase 10% of 10% is 1%. So you would give 11%. 
And the reason for that is multifold. Obviously, there's, there's expenses that the church has to deal with. That's just the reality of having employees and wanting them to eat. But the greater reality is that we want to bring glory to God and see his gospel go forth and have the opportunity to do that should excite us just like it should to share my stuffy with someone else. Like, oh, this is so cool. God gave me this money. You got to check it out. What can you do with this? Here it is. Go. And it's exciting. It's an opportunity to give, not just because the church needs money, but because it's good for you to give. If I want to be your pastor, and if I want you to grow spiritually, and if I want you to be happy, joyful, and fulfilled, then I want you to give. I don't want you to have to walk around life going like this. I want you to go like this. It's a totally different perspective. And the way for you to receive joy is to give. If you look at somebody who's joyful, I pretty much guarantee you that they're generous. Because generous people are joyful people. Give. It's good for you. Now, in my life, uh, the way I do it is through auto-withdrawal. And I'm going to get kind of specific here because I think it's helpful. We're going to drill down a little bit in the details, but more later. But for me, because I'm an employee, I can have it directly taken out of my check, which actually is really good because I don't want money to come home that I think belongs to me, <laughs> you know? So I do it the same way with my mortgage. I do it the same way with my utilities. I do it the same way with my internet, insurance, and everything. I put as much as I can on auto debit as possible. Now, the 0.0% that I sacrifice in the seven days, the interest it doesn't bother me. The key is that I'm not overspending. So say, I'm just using this as an example. Say the you know, pile of money, it would have to be like quarters or something. But say the pile of money is this big, right? Well, then I want my expenses to come out, come out, come out, come out so that I know at the end of the day what I truly have. So it's just conservative budgeting that says auto-debit, auto-debit, auto-debit. Get rid of all the junk I have to pay for. Then show me if there's anything left. And that's what I do. And you can do that at our church if you want. Here's a picture of our website. The way to do that here is there's several tabs at the top of the page. Visit, About, Ministries, Connect, Resources, and Give. If you go to the Give one and click on the top one, Electronic Giving, you can set that up so that just like your mortgage and everything else, it goes out and you don't have to worry about it. And that's actually, I think, a really good way to do it. And one of the obstacles to getting there that I think we have to overcome is a modern mindset that church is an exchange for a service. I came here, I received a sermon, I heard some songs, I had an experience, I got a blessing, give some money, go home. I got what I want. That's not what a church is. That's what a mall is. As you go into a big building and you look at all the different services and you think, which one's for me? Okay, am I willing to pay that much? Yeah, I'll go in there. That's not a church. That's a mall. What a church is, is the body of Christ given for you. We're here to bring him glory and accomplish his gospel. And that happens whether or not you come. And I've actually seen, and I'm greatly encouraged by this, people who come to our church on Monday morning to write their check because they are away for the weekend. That's cool. Why? Because they're not giving because they got. They're giving because they want to give. That's giving. 
It's for real, no matter what. Whether you come or not, you pay your mortgage on time, you should give to God on time as well. So I'm encouraging you, whether or not you increase your giving or not, whatever you do, be disciplined, be intentional, be sacrificial, and really go after it. Go online, sign up, and get it just coming right off the top, and then you don't have to worry about it whether you're there or not. You know you're advancing the gospel for the kingdom of Christ. You can do it differently. I mean, if you still like writing a check and you're of that mindset, fine, by all means. But for me, personally, it makes it a lot easier just to get rid of it and never see it. <laughs> I don't have the chance to touch or spend this because it's already gone. So what am I saying to you today? Basically this, this is stewardship. Stewardship is, number one, or A, based on the owner. It defines our purpose, comes with a promise, and it requires both faith and effort at the same time. In other words, you were placed here to bring glory to the Master. So, Colossians 3.23 then says, whatever you do, doesn't matter. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.23 says, there's a slide, I think. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive, there's a promise, the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ. To Him be the glory and the honor and the power and praise and dominion forevermore. Amen. Father, we thank you. For, being, for allowing us to be a part of your rule. Lord God, what is man that you are mindful of him? That you would actually allow us to rule with Christ in glory. That's really almost beyond our comprehension. We thank you and we praise you for the opportunities we get to give now. When we serve, when we share, when we give. Lord, it's good. Because what you do is good. God, the church isn't perfect, the pastors aren't perfect, people in the church aren't perfect, but you are. And so, Lord, as we walk this faith path together, we pray that you would draw us closer together, that you would cause us to give, that we would steward everything we have for your honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.